When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Dungeon of Doom, episode number 10. We've lived to see double digits. This is Ben Raven, and I'm joined by my co-host, as always, Kyle Mikey. He is down in live and living color down at Mobile, Alabama at the Senior Bowl. I'm holding down the home base. Kyle, how are you doing down there in the Senior Bowl? I'm I'm cold and I'm wet. Probably not as cold as uh, <laughs> folks back in Michigan. Probably not as cold as you, uh, not to rub it in, but... It's been a it's been a weird uh, week. It was really nice on Tuesday for the first day of practices. Wednesday, uh, I was standing in like six inches of, <laughs> of water. I feel like uh, for the duration of the of the practice, and a lot of us actually took off for the second practice, which was a Lions practice because we had uh, we talked to a couple of coaches before practice, and man, like Ben, you just couldn't see couldn't see anything. It couldn't like I couldn't feel my toes. <laughs> you know, it was. <laughs> miserable and the quarterbacks looked like a two-man like uh they had a rough day on on, on tuesday which you kind of expected these things because they learn a bunch of you know schematics they don't know and they're learning players they don't know um and yeah there's a lot being thrown at them um so yeah it was disjointed and it, you know they come back on wednesday looking for a better day and Ben, i was watching warm-ups i was trying to get a better feel for like desmond ritter who had a really bad tuesday and malik willis uh, really intrigues me so i was watching him and there was one point where I think I saw, so they were doing little five yard outs to warm up for practice. And I think I saw seven balls on the ground in a row and it wasn't all bad passes. And there was a few bad passes in there, but it was, I saw guys get hit in the numbers and they just dropped the ball because it was, it was so wet. So it's been, been, been an interesting week. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I'm kind of observing from home and it's just like, my goodness, is every single quarterback fumbled a snap or like had a ball fly out of their hands? It just sounded like a nightmarish day for the quarterbacks down there, as you said, without question. Well, the rain definitely factored into it on Wednesday and, and we're recording this on Thursday. They're actually practicing right now. Uh, I'm not there because they moved it indoors and only like the broadcast partners and people like that had access to it. But on Tuesday with good weather, Man, like I said, Ben, you like I've gone to a bunch of these things now, and you do see some erratic quarterback play because they're just having so much stuff thrown at them, uh, and they're trying to do it with guys they don't know. And on top of all of it, they've got the entire league <laughs> watching them and their every move and the, the the pressure of that. I've seen some some crazy stuff, especially on day one. What you want to see is a lot of improvement over time of the week, you know, as they get more comfortable. But on Tuesday, yeah, man, even simple stuff like getting the snap like I saw four or five different quarterbacks fumble the snap uh, uh Zappy the the kid from Western Kentucky I watched him during one-on-ones get the football from a Lions assistant uh not it's not it was it was just a skeleton thing it wasn't even a, a center it was just a Lions assistant handing him the football and he dropped the football <laughs> <laughs> it was a rough day but like I said, Ben, the, no one was worse on day one, in my opinion, than Desmond Ritter. And he was one of the guys I was really intrigued to see when I came down here because he obviously lit it up at Cincinnati. Both for a guy, you know, kind of fits the mold before the NFL is going, going. But there was a lot of, uh, I don't know, a lot of unknowns about him coming out of his college career and where he played. And it, it was bad on all fronts, man. He couldn't, like, 
throw short. He couldn't throw long. Uh, I saw him miss on like four or five straight passes at one point. Uh, easy stuff, hard stuff. He fumbled two different snaps. He, he fumbled the first snap that he got um, on the whole day. So it was just, he looked overwhelmed to me. He looked like he was swimming out there. And he's a classic example of a guy where I'd want to see progress from him on, on Wednesday. I don't think it's necessarily a negative thing that you got you, that you struggle so much on, on day one because of what's thrown at these quarterbacks. But then he goes out there on, on, on Wednesday. Maybe he was slightly better, um, but he really wasn't that much better. And the hard thing about that is I don't know how much of that is the rain versus him just struggling down here. I, it, needless to say, I don't think he helped himself down here the, through the first couple of days. Yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, anybody that follows me on Twitter know that I'm all about Desmond Ritter. I was all about Desmond Ritter coming into this. If they were going to force that quarterback pick, that was the guy I've kind of had circled. So just like me these last two days reading these, like, gosh, how far off was I on this guy? About four or five rounds. But, you know, obviously, like you said, raining, terrible weather in the senior bowl. Just what a strange experience with all those eyes on you. It's practices that matter, that don't matter. You're not really allowed to play it like over the center and stuff like that. So it's just it's really interesting to see kind of like the perspective like you guys watching practices to the national perspective and trying to like immediately do mock drafts out of like each days of practices. But yeah, it, I mean, that's the most interesting thing about the senior bowl this year. The six of the seven top quarterbacks are down there. The lions have Willis, Zappy, Sam Howell. And then I think the jets roster, they've got the picket strong and Ritter. And I, I mean, what would it be draft season without two long conversations on a guy not getting his hands measured? So uh, the Lions <laughs> <laughs> infamously, Jared Goff had some hand issues coming out of college. That's like one of the main things. What was that? That seemed like the biggest story of the day when you first got there it was like Kenny Pickett's hand size. And just like, I think you guys had a chance to kind of get him at the podium. Just kind of like, what's what has been your main takeaway from guys like that? Well, I don't put too much into the hand size thing I, I, you know I, I understand it's an evaluation point so if the guy has small hands which i assume he does because he, he wouldn't measure his hands down here absurd i when i went to journalism school i did not think i was going to be like in mobile alabama talking about hand size but here we are ben um no but like so he's obviously got, got small hands but you know he's, he's going to stretch them out which is what he's doing right now and then he's going to measure them at the combine it's really a, i think it's just a dumb charade because after the combine and he measures in at whatever he measures in at he's going to stop doing those exercises and his hands are going to go back to what they were before and he's going to be the same quarterback that he was with or without the stretching but i will say kenny Pickett has definitely been the most consistent quarterback down here and with six of the seven top guys in the draft here which is kind of a unique thing it's a really senior laden quarterback class I think it's safe to say that he's the safest quarterback pick in this class. He's consistent. Uh, he, he seems comfortable with his reads. Um, he's fairly accurate. Like he just doesn't seem overwhelmed even on a day, like on Tuesday when everyone else seemed kind of overwhelmed at different points, like he was kind of the steadying hand out there, but I guess from a lion's perspective, you know, perspective, which is the way that I take these things, especially in a year where the Lions have one quarterback under contract right now for next, next year. And even that quarterback, Jared Goff, you know, he's obviously got the questions about his ceiling. I, you and I have talked about it, Ben. Like, you can't watch these playoffs and think, oh, yeah, Jared, Jared Goff is the guy to go out there and, and gunsling with uh, Patrick Mahomes or Josh Allen or any of these guys. So until you get a quarterback like that, you're not going anywhere. You're not going where you want to be. So you're you're looking for a quarterback. And when I watch Kenny Pickett, I, I don't think he's the quarterback for the Lions. I, I, I Honestly, I see a lot of Jared Goff in him. He's more mobile than Jared Goff. Um, but not dramatically so. And that's never gonna be gonna be the the thing about his game. It's his arm. His arm is consistent and there's nothing wrong with it. And someone's gonna draft him in the first round. Um, but like when I look at Kenny Pickett, I see 
the ceiling as a solid NFL starter. That's that to me is the ceiling. There's nothing about the arm talent or the mobility that really like looks like a game breaking kind of talent. And so like, do you really want to burn a first round pick on a guy who, if he hits the ceiling, he's going to be a lot like the guy you already have. Yeah. Uh, I, I just don't think that's worth the pick for the lions. Um, I'm, I'm much more intrigued by Malik Willis and I'm not suggesting they're taking Malik Willis. Uh, I've written on, on him a couple of times this week because he's interesting, not because I think you know, I'm being told anything on or off the record that the Lions are chasing that guy. But Ben, like six of the seven top quarterbacks are down here and no one throws harder. No one's got a bigger arm than Malik Willis and no one runs better than Malik, uh, Malik Willis. It's a really intriguing skill set. I can, I can, it's, you can't watch the guy for five minutes without seeing what everyone else sees when they see this guy. Uh, and, you know, I mean, it, it's um, it's apparent. He also struggles. You know, he's really inconsistent. I, I actually I think he does better with his reads than what people give him credit for. That was kind of the knock on him of like you know, him playing at Liberty. How is he going to like diagnose a defense and make progressions? And I actually don't think that's been his his biggest problem. It's it's just the accuracy. He's got a hell of an arm. Ben Johnson. Uh, so we'll bring we'll get to him later. But the line set ends coach, um, passing game coordinator. Uh, he's been doing the, the offensive coordinator stuff this week at the Senior Bowl. And um, at, for the final play yesterday on, on Wednesday, Ben Johnson told Malik Willis, hey, man, last play, like, let, let it rip. Malik Willis, like, threw it through the end zone from, like, 50 yards out. <laughs> like, the guy has an absolute hose. Um, and if you could ever harness what he can do with his legs and his arm, he's going to be a very good very high-end NFL player, NFL, quarter, NFL quarterback. But there's just so many steps he has to take from where he's at right now as a prospect to where he has to go that nobody can project whether he makes it there. Not, not anyone, not even Malik Willis, you know? Um, so that's the, that's the thing with him. I don't know if that fits the Lions, you know, with where they're at. They have so many needs. They're not going to, like, be a Super Bowl contender next year anyway. Um, so they may they may take a pass on the quarterback class this year and, and reset things after another year of golf um, because I, I just don't know if you can afford to take the boomer bust risk with Malik Willis when you're a team like the Lions with so many holes to fill like you just can't miss on those those first round picks but if they were to take a quarterback it would to me it would be Malik Willis because his upside is just it's it's really obscene. No, and I'm glad you brought up the processing because one of the things that's kind of stood out for me watching from afar is when Malik, Malik Willis made a swing pass and Brunel like lost his mind and they showed a couple of clips of that. And it's just, I think that's the interesting part of the senior bowl because you're putting the Lions staff directly with this guy and they're like, they get a chance to put this kid in a situation that, you know, might be one of his weakness heading in and he checks one, two, three or four times and then boom. I mean, I, that was just kind of a cool moment to bring that up. And like you said, it fits exactly what you were saying there. So we talked to Mark Brunel after practice uh, yesterday, and he was asked actually about that interaction that, that people saw, I think, on TV. He did. It went a little crazy. Yeah. Um, and so we, we asked him about it. So we can cue up that that sound right here. Beautiful. Mark Brunel, Lions quarterbacks coach, talking about Malik Willis. It was a, a new concept. I mean, he, he basically, he's working left to right. He's got four guys in the progression. He went from, from one, two, three, and then four. Um, Actually, there's five guys in the route. He's looking to his left, doesn't have it, and then just progresses to his right and gets to the, to the last guy in the progression for a young quarterback. Um, and to have that play and to get through that read and throw a nice ball on his, on his check down on that wide route, I was really impressed with that. I mean, it's, it's, uh, 
Um, it was pretty sharp, and it was something he had never done before. So I credit the coaching, but it's really probably more more Malik, more Malik than anything else. So yeah, so yeah, Ben, that, that guy's fired up, <laughs> as you can tell. <laughs> it's awesome. just a really unique situation because usually it's, I mean, it's, I mean, it's notorious how difficult it is to evaluate quarterbacks. Um, the the jump from college to the NFL is so great; it can be hard to project. But working with these guys and not just seeing them in in, in uh, pajamas at the com- combine, you know. Um, actually getting to put them through a meeting uh, and have them process information with the install of an, of an offense um, can tell you a lot about a guy and his brain and his ability to handle a lot of the stresses and a lot of the things that can hold guys back when they do make that jump that maybe you can't otherwise account for if you don't get a chance to work with these guys. It's been really interesting watching Ben Johnson and uh, Mark Brunel and Dan Campbell and all these guys really get their hands on on some of these prospects. And they seem really intrigued as well, just like the rest of the NFL with what Malik Willis can do. Um, uh, I'll talk, let, let's cue up Ben Johnson right now talking about uh, Malik Willis. He a uh, phenomenal athlete, clearly. I mean, you can see it. He, he's made some scramble plays in practice so far where he gets loose in the field, and you can tell he's going to be elusive when he gets some, some open area. But his, his arm strength is evident. I think shoot the last play of practice yesterday, I told him, I said, listen, it's the last one. Let's just let it rip. And I think he just flicked it out there, and it went 50, 60 yards in the air, you know, and it just barely out through our, our post route. Went but through the end zone. There. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so uh, the the talent is there. It's uh, you know I was talking with Brew about this yesterday. Just being able to watch him, and we'll go back and we'll review it at the end of the week here. But from Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Saturday, you know, just seeing the progression and the steps that he's taken so far, um, it, it's been it's been really exciting. So yeah, they're paired up, Ben. Um, it's been interesting and with the quarterback situation uh, that the lions have obviously there's been a lot of focus that i'm just curious you know you watching a tv like you and i have different vantage points and everything that's happening what do you think of of what you've seen this week uh just of, of the quarterbacks i mean malik willis's arm stands out on tv like you said like that thing just zips down the field without question and just i mean i'll highly recommend the post you put up this morning on the lions haven't had a dual threat quarterback in the last half century or something i mean i'm with you willis feels like the best fit for this team because like there's absolutely you just look at that guy and you just can see the flashes you can see the flashes of him like like that processing moment, like that was like a legit moment that the coaching staff saw a light bulb above their head. You see the zip, you see the mobility, you look at the guys who play deep into the playoffs and he kind of checks some of those boxes, but at the same time played at Liberty. So this has been kind of a good week to get him out there, but it's hard to get takeaways watching from home. Cause you get these clips and these clips and eclipse the main the main takeaway is, my goodness, it's been sloppy, and anything marginally good these quarterbacks have done has looked stellar compared to anything else. But, yeah, just Malik Willis, I'm with you. I mean, in terms of timeline, in terms of pressure he would put on Goff, it's just like his name of this weird, strange, are they, will they, won't they class of quarterbacks. I mean, his name kind of makes the most sense for this timeline and just that what he can do is like you said, I love that. You said that he's got some, it's a rope. What'd you say? He's got a rope down or not a rope, his arm. He's got a hose, <laughs> a hose. Man. He's got a hose, a rope, <laughs> a rope. I don't know why I would freaking, but I, I just love that because I mean, that's what pops at home. That's what pops at home. And obviously some of these big Georgia offensive linemen, I mean, in that big Kentucky offensive lineman. And then I think it's the dude from Minnesota. That's what stands out at home. Those just monsters. This That dude from Minnesota looks like the mountain from Game of Thrones. So that's my at-home watching from my armchair takeaways for sure. 
the uh, the Kentucky kid that you're talking about, uh, Kennard, yeah. um, the offensive lineman, he's a good player. I think he's going to go pretty high in this draft. He's got also got great hair, by the way. You would really appreciate uh, his hair game, by the way. Love it. <laughs> it's like, like shoulder length, curly uh, hair, yeah. Um, but he's a good-looking player, too. And uh, on the first day, you know, it's, it's just been really interesting watching the Lions staff and, and people react to it. It's kind of we, – you know, we, went, we went through the same thing two years ago with – Matt Patricia and that staff, and they would talk of the NFL, but for very different reasons, probably. Uh, Patricia had a couple of F-bombs that made it on the ESPN, and I know a lot of scouts were upset that they spent, like, 45 minutes of practice working on special teams. <laughs> They're going to play in the Super Bowl or something, but... Um, the most patriot you know, way. <laughs> yeah, no doubt, no doubt. Um, and, you know, this week it's been interesting watching... The difference and, and one of the things that people have raved about with the Lions staff is the energy they bring to practice the competitive uh periods they bring to practice i mean get the guy i mean the jets practices are, are fine they're a little like slow paced but then you turn on the lions practice and it, it, guys are like hopping around like, like the energy is palpably different and i think if you've watched lions practice for a year as you and i have you're used to it. There's nothing that really stands out as abnormal, but then you compare it to the Jets practice and it's a very stark dif- difference. And people around the NFL are really talking about how uh, the line staff is able to get these guys, you know, up for practice. Energy is different. They're able to, to relate to the guys in a different way than is usual for a, a coach. I mean, like so much has been made about how many former player former players are on the staff, but when you have Antoine Randall L teaching how to play receiver or Mark Brunel teaching how to play quarterback, but you have Hank Fraley teaching how to play offensive line. Like there's a, a lot of credibility that goes into that and guys are really responding to it. And yeah, to all that point on, on day one, you had the Kentucky kid Kennard. He had some epic battles against Jermaine Johnson, who to me has been the best player here, regardless of position. I mean, that guy's a freak um, a defensive end from, uh, from Florida state. And um, yeah, I think he's the best uh, player here. He could be one of the top edge rushers taken in the draft outside of those two guys at the top, Aiden Hutchinson and um, Kayvon Thibodeau. But um, yeah, so Johnson and Kennard had a, a, a huge battle and the Lions rolled it back instead of like just going to the next one-on-one. It, it was right at the end of practice and, and, and Johnson basically steamrolled Kennard um, on the first play and they rolled it back and Kennard got the best of Johnson on that play. So they, they, they did the rubber match. And I mean, all the eyes are, are right at the 50 watching these guys go at each other, just locking horns and, and swapping paint. And I mean, it was like a pretty titanic clash between two really good players. And there's some contention on who won the third rep. Um, you know, mm-hmm. Deuce Daly gave it to the offense, um, but he's an offensive coach, you know. So there's some people saying that, that actually the, the, the defense won. And they did the push-ups that we've seen, you know, that the Lions do uh, for competition periods and stuff. And it's just like normal to you and me because we've seen it for a year, but watching the NFL world kind of react to the way the Lions do practices and watching a, a cast of former players basically run these, um, run these practices in a very different and more energetic, uh, energetic way has been uh, really eye-opening. And it, again, it just brings me back to a, a point that you and I have made before, which is, you know, how is this going to influence the Lions when it comes to free agency? I mean, these, these guys are fun to play for. Players respond to them. They get better. We've seen dramatic improvements across the board. And to come to a place like this where you have scouts and coaches and everyone from the, the NFL world uh, watching these guys do their thing, um, people are people are taking note of, of um, what the Lions have going on right now. 
No, I, 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 when I saw that Aubrey Pleasant was going to get an elevated role down at the senior bowl, I was like, that's just genius. Like that guy is like, he's getting his style of coaching, that energy, that excitement, like he's going to get the real version of those players out of themselves. I feel like that. I don't know. It's just nice that the NFL world gets to see a highly energetic guy like that work with kids like this, because it's just like, I think he just makes people feel like themselves on his roster from everything we've heard. And just like the energy is turned all the way up because that is another good takeaway you made. I remember I was looking through takeaways from day one and it's like, yeah, the jets team kind of came out. They were stretching for a little bit. The lions guys come out and everybody's bouncing around and they're immediately doing one-on-one drills at the end of the session. So that's good to hear that. Cause I just remember when Mel, Fonwu and St. Brown got into it at training camp. They didn't separate those guys, ran it back one more time. So it's nice to see that kind of trickle through as they figure this whole thing out. So as it relates to the Lions staff, you know, it's it's not just about the, the draft process down here. There's a lot of business getting done as well. So Aaron Glenn, the defensive coordinator from the Lions, interviewed while he was down here with the Saints for their head coaching job. And and we'll see what comes of that. But it was kind of interesting because we, um, after the first day of practice, we waited around to talk to a couple of people. Um, and then I got word that uh, that Dan Campbell was going to be talking um, downtown Mobile, Alabama. So I hopped in my car, took a 10, 15 minute drive from where they practice at the University of South Alabama. And uh, <laughs> we're ra- you know, there's a few other reporters with myself and we're waiting outside a theater in downtown Mobile um, because Campbell is going to be there for a panel with Nick Saban and uh, I think, you know, um, Mel Tucker was supposed to be there from Michigan State, but didn't show up. There's a, like, there's a, there's a bunch of guys there and we're standing on the street for like almost a half hour waiting for Campbell and he comes strutting down the road and we ended up doing the interview like right on the, the corner of two streets in, in Mobile <laughs> and he's in like in the middle of his interview and someone's walking past at one point and yells out like go Lions and it was so funny because like Campbell didn't even flinch he finished the sentence that he was in the middle of and then he like looks up he's like hey thanks appreciate that and then he looks back down and just like finishes the interview but in the middle of that uh, that scrum we obviously asked him about Aaron Glenn uh, and his uh, you know his bid to be the uh, uh, head coach uh, with the Saints and uh, let's take a listen to, to what he had to say listen you can't do this to me because all I'm gonna do is I love AG I listen I I do not want to lose AG. That's how much I think of him and what he's brought to us and the life that he's given our defense and, and knowing where it's going to go. But I'm just telling you, the guy's going to be, he's going to be a home run as a head coach. He's, he's passionate. He's smart. Um, he's got a good feel of, he's got a good feel of personnel, how to use his own guys. Um, he's kind of been trained the way I have to think of it collectively offense defense and special teams you know that everything's involved and there's a certain way you play a game and everything is tied into the other as opposed that you win one way or another you know you only win with this unit so um and man he's organized he's organized he's thorough he's you know he's kind of a chess player if you will and he's always ahead of it ahead of the game so i love ag and uh i don't want to lose him but but he would be an outstanding head coach so yeah i mean that's not a surprise ben to hear you know that campbell would be um you know so much in, in glenn's corner he's really gone to bat for him and um it's kind of an interesting time to talk to aaron glenn and to see him going through this process with the brian flores thing that that's happening in the nfl world what are your thoughts on i guess what are your thoughts on uh, aaron glenn and his you know candidacy to become the 
uh, you know, head coach. Absolutely legitimate candidate, I would think. I mean, whether in Denver or in New Orleans, I mean, even without considering his ties to New Orleans, I mean, that is just, especially when looking at that Saints roster and what they're going to have on paper next year, it's going to, their defense is going to be their strength next year. And he's continued to get the most with or without Marcus Williams, a type of player. He's continued to get the most out of his DB. So it's just like, I think you've said it more than a couple of times. The lemonade he made out of those lemons this year was just really impressive. And it's just like career years from guys, maybe not career year for Tracy Walker, but improved play from Tracy Walker, an absolute career year from Charles Harris, just being able to balance everything that came with the COVID, the injuries, losing. I mean, shoot, by like week four, they had lost like five of their six guys on the season ticket posters from the defense. So it's just like this, what this guy was able to do in his first year as a defensive coordinator. That's a legit head coaching candidate. I mean, he got love from the Jets, I think, in 2019 or 2020 last year it's just I mean with or without the ties to the Saints organizations Aaron Glenn should be near the top of everyone's wish list to at least get that guy in the room to talk to him without question one of the most I would say surreal like moments that I've had coming to the senior bowl and I think this might be like number six for me number seven maybe uh somewhere in there but I I can't really remember a time where so so we were it was right when the Lions were taking the field um for their practice on day one and that's when the Flores stuff hit and I first heard about it because I heard two people behind me talking about it like hey did you see what Schefter tweeted so of course I pull up the Schefter tweet and I'm like oh my god and then I heard people to my left say it and then I heard people in front of me say it and it, it, it like rolled through the whole stadium and you could see people looking at their phones yeah. and, and just buzzing about what was going on and a few minutes later I had gone around the stadium to the other side where where mostly league people sit versus um you know reporters and uh, there's coaches and scouts and stuff all over the place and it was the same thing people people couldn't that you can believe it because everyone knows what the deal is in the NFL and how hard it is for minority candidates to get jobs and that mm-hmm. 70% of the league is black, but you have one black head coach right now and all these kinds of things that people know. But at the same time, to see the shocking allegations that were made yeah, yeah. was remarkable. And so I guess it was surreal to be in the center of the NFL world at a moment when the NFL world's world was reacting to seismic news um, and serious allegations being made that, that could really change uh, if they don't change the policies with the NFL with regard to minority hiring, um, certainly you're going to see changes in Miami. I feel like with Stephen <laughs> Ross, like something's got to happen with that. Pay, you know, offering to pay your coach to lose. I mean, that that strikes at the competitive integrity of the league. And I guess what made it even more surreal, Ben, is that we were. I was already lined up to speak with Aaron Glenn in like an hour, like when all this stuff was going down and happening, and Deuce Daly for that matter, two black assistants with Detroit who have both interviewed for head coaching jobs before Aaron Glenn had interviewed with the Broncos like two weeks ago and the Broncos were one of the teams named in the lawsuit by Brian Flores so I guess it was just kind of surreal to like be taking in and absorbing this this thing that was happening and then to know hey by the way we're talking to Aaron Glenn here in a second and he's probably going to have a very informed take and the guy's also trying to get a head coaching job so I didn't expect him to like lay waste anybody or anything even if he had the goods on somebody with regard to minority hiring practices um but i was intrigued to see his perspective because as you know when we've talked to this guy once a week for a long time now and he's a very thoughtful guy um so let's let's cue up some of aaron glenn here uh, and what he had to say on on all of this to me just getting a chance to, to be able to express myself on how to be a head coach is more important than anything uh, regardless who the organization is um, just for those guys to pick me out as a guy that they feel like can uh, run the organization, I mean, that's, um, that's an enjoyment in itself. So uh, I try to prepare the best I can. Um, I'm going to put my best foot forward, and if 
I win the job, I win the job. If I don't, I get ready for the next opportunity. We're going to maybe spring this on you because it happened while you guys were out on the field today, but uh, Brian Flores has sued the NFL. Yeah. It's about the, the hiring practices of, of minority candidates. Uh, he sued oh, really? The Giants, he sued the Broncos, and he sued the Dolphins. It's, it's a pretty aggressive <laughs> really? lawsuit. Um, <laughs> you, you are going through the process now. You are um, yeah. you know, a minority candidate. And I, I just wondered how, how you can maybe sum up the, the fairness you feel, the, the opportunities that you're receiving and that other black coaches have been receiving in the last few years? Well, I guess the answer to that first is I have no idea of uh, everything that goes into the lawsuit with Brian. So sure. um, I don't want to speak on that. Yeah. Uh, but for me personally, uh, I thought all my interviews were, were, were really good interviews. And the way that I look at it, I get a chance to get in front of these GMs and uh, other high-level people in the organization just express my uh, my thoughts on how to be a head coach and how to run an organization. That's the only way I look at it. So um, I don't look at it as, you know, if they're fake interviews or anything like that. Um, if that was to happen, I mean, that's, that's shameful for the league. But I just haven't experienced that, you know, just to be honest with you. So I would like to, to see the whole deal what happened with Brian Flores and, and uh, his lawsuits. I mean, that's that's a big deal. You telling me now that yeah. just you just sprung some on me. Yeah. That's why I gave you that that look when it happened. So, um, but no, man, all my interviews have been enjoyable right now, and I just think there have been an opportunity for me to have a chance to run the organization. We are halfway through another hiring cycle. Yeah. No, no new black head coaches. Yeah. You know, I just what is your impression of of just the way things are trending in that direction. Yeah. We keep talking about progress, but are we seeing it? Well, I would say this. Obviously, you know, we, we want to see those things change. We want to see those things happen. Um, listen, I'm not going to be the one to sit here and say that, man, we got to hire all black coaches. Think we got to hire the right coaches. I do think there are some black coaches or any other race that are really good coaches, and yeah. we got to at some point see that happen. Um, but right now, I just want to see, you know, the right guys get the job. Justin did mention the Broncos were one of the teams named in the suit, and it was about the 2019 search, not this 2019? Yes, so not not this most recent, but just can you share your experience? Wow, 2019, that's when everything, like, this lawsuit's from 2019 or what else? It's all of it. Yeah, really? Up to now. But I, I was just curious with your experiences with Denver. Yeah. How did you find you know that that coaching search to be? I guess? Well, I would say this. Uh, I think George Patton's a hell of a GM. Um, I like the way that he handled the interview. Uh, the first start of the interview was just me and him, you know, for an hour, just talking. And the last, uh, I would say, three hours, uh, it was other. Well, actually, it went longer than that, which was surprising. You know, my interview was almost six and a half hours, um, which to me, I mean, spoke volumes of. I mean, apparently, they liked what I was hearing, uh, what they were hearing. Um, but thing is, I just didn't win the job, you know. So, thing is, I look past that and go on and get ready for the next. One, you know, and that's my only focus. The thing is, man, I have a really good job. I have a really good job with really good people. I talk to every other day, every Thursday, <laughs> and I'm enjoying that. You know, so um, if I don't get one of these jobs, you know what, man, I'm gonna still be there with you guys. I mean, we're gonna turn this thing around in Detroit, and we're gonna continue to play hard and play fast and get these uh, get some more talent in there and go play. So yeah, good good stuff from Aaron Glenn. Like I said, we also talked to Deuce Staley. Let's cue up Deuce, the, assist, the you know assistant head coach for the Lions. He, you know, then he he's he came to Detroit, you know, to advance his career. He wants to be a head coach. He interviewed with Philadelphia um, during their last search and didn't get it. And he took the Lions job because it was a slight advancement for him. It was basically the same job on paper, but he was given more responsibilities that are like a head coach. He addresses the team more than a usual assistant coach. Um, even right before games, he's the guy who's uh, who's talking to the team sometimes. Um, he does 
interviews um, with the, you know, in, in press conference settings with the rest of the, the coordinators. So he's been given more opportunities in Detroit. He came here for this opportunity to get a head coaching job. So I was curious to hear his perspective as well on, you know, on, on this whole thing. Um, so here's what Duke had to say. Yeah, I mean, there's some, some guys out there that's overqualified. And we all know that. There's some guys out there that's been coaching this league for a while that are outstanding coaches. Um, and I can't speak of the process. You know, I can't speak of what they went through as far as interviewing or anything like that. I just know I can speak of the man and the coach, and they're overqualified. So hopefully, you know, still got a couple openings, right? Hopefully one of those guys get a job. Wild stuff, huh? I, I'm, I'm, I don't think any of us are shocked by the – the Flores thing, uh, just like Deuce said, you know, there's overqualified people out there who aren't getting jobs, but still to see it on paper in black and white has been, um, you know, something this week. These allegations are, I mean, they're bombshells. That world gets thrown around a little too much, but these absolutely, I mean, $100,000 per loss to tank in 2019. And then the whole Giants thing, Bill Belichick, old man texting habits, getting like included in a lawsuit like congratulating Brian Dabble for landing the Giants job but he's texting Brian Flores who hadn't had his interview with the Giants for a couple of days like that's Bill put last names in your phone and number two it's just like holy crap just like I mean (laughs) and then Flores claims his 2019 interview with the Broncos was a sham they arrived late they were disheveled and it was obvious that they had been drinking heavily I'm doing air quotations that's from the I mean just shocking to see three things bam 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 listed like that not shocking to know that the team are existing because I think do said it best. I mean, there are so many overqualified candidates out there that you never see take that next step. So it's like you look at his situation in Philly. The guy was a Philly legend. Then he goes on to coach for the team and he has to leave to get that assistant head coach tag on his name. I mean, maybe it was for Dan Campbell. Maybe it was for the group that was assembled here, but he still had to leave the place where he made his name in this league to advance his career even just a little bit. And so it's just it's, what an opportunity for you guys down there to get those guys coming off the field or as that news is breaking. Just, I mean, yeah. Yeah, like you said, a reporter literally let Glenn know about it. That's just absolutely wild. Like you said, nothing surprising, but it's still shocking, 100%. Yeah, Justin Rogers, our our friend uh, from the Detroit News and a guest here on the DOD. Um, Yeah, he put the news to to Glenn, and you could tell, like, I I really thought coming off the field, Aaron Glenn and Deuce Staley would at least be given a heads up by Lions PR. A lot of times that happens. That's part of the job. They do a great job. Lions PR does a great job preparing those guys for what they're about to walk into. And Glenn walks up, and Justin asks him about the Flores thing, and you could tell from his reaction that it was genuine, that he had no idea the bombshell that had just been dropped on his profession. I mean, the guy was out there coaching. He had no idea, you know, <laughs> and it was just a, a wild, a wild sequence. Um, so I guess on the, on the offensive side, Ben, um, just, you know, turn the page here a little bit. Um, I, you know, I wanted to get to, to, to Ben Johnson. To me, he's one of the biggest stories down here from a Lions perspective. He's probably going to be the next offense, offensive coordinator for Detroit. Um, Lions are obviously looking to replace Anthony Lynn, who was fired after the season. Ben Johnson did a lot of good things, a lot of good things um, in the second half of the year after Dan Campbell took over the play, play calling. And I think a lot of people understand that Campbell was calling the plays. I think fewer people realize that Ben Johnson was scheming up and designing and creating a lot of the things that were working, the, like the creative elements that we saw with trick plays and even little, you know, flourishes in, in plays that already existed, one of which led to a long touchdown to pass to, to Brock Wright. All, all he did was had the guard pull to the other side, other side of the line of the scrimmage and um, and it tricked the defense just like he thought it was going to and um, it scored a long touchdown. Aman Ra, you know, the, the numbers speak for themselves, what he did in the second half of the year. And I don't, I think that might be him and 
and Jared Goff's improvement in the second half are two of the best cases for, for Ben Johnson to get this job. Clearly, Ben Johnson has a, a better working relationship and, and rhythm with Jared Goff than Anthony Lynn ever did. And, um, the, you know, 11 touchdown passes in the, in, the, in the final five games for Goff, just two interceptions, the third best passer rating in the league. Um, just looked very comfortable out there. Uh, and Ben Johnson was a big reason for it. And Amon Ra out there doing things that no rookie's ever done, setting Lions rookie receiving records. And I kept waiting for the moment when a defense would <laughs> adjust for that. And we go out into Seattle and he does it again. And we come back home for the finale against Green Bay and he does it again. And he was the, the fulcrum in a lot of um, trick plays as well. Just, you know, almost using the attention that Amon Ra was getting a, against Green Bay. That stuff was Ben Johnson. And um, I, I think Dan Campbell deserves the praise too. I, it's ultimately him calling the plays and, and, and he has more control over the offense than, than people realize, even when Lynn was calling the plays. But Ben Johnson was, was his right-hand man through all of it. Um, ben Johnson's on, on paper, the tight ends coach, but he goes back to the Miami days with Dan Campbell. Um when ben, John- ben Johnson's NFL break was was with the Dolphins in 2012 uh, as an offensive assistant, Campbell was already there uh, as a tight ends coach. When Campbell got the interim head coaching job in 2015, it was Ben Johnson that he appointed as the new tight ends coach. Eventually, Ben Johnson makes his way to Detroit. And when uh, Bleep was hitting the fan last year and he demoted essentially Anthony Lynn and took over the play calling, it was Ben Johnson he turned to, to uh, coordinate and uh, direct the, the passing game. And again, the results speak for themselves. And there's clearly chemistry there, Ben, and, and rhythm and momentum building. With that said, I, I just wanted to play some of the audio we got from Ben Johnson. We talked to him just today, just, I mean, not, not even that long ago, a couple hours ago. And I thought it was, I, I found him very thoughtful and, you know, it, it, it was good stuff. And so, yeah, let's play, let's play some of that um, from Ben Johnson here in Mobile. Coach Campbell and I have sat down and we've, we've talked, we've talked for, for uh, at length a couple of different occasions. Um, so, yeah, it's, we've had good conversations. So I, I guess yeah. what was your, your case? What, what was your pitch, I guess, to Dan to, uh, you know, with the offense? Um, it, I'll be honest with you, it's, it's really his vision for it and, and having his back with that vision, you know, and what he wants to see, where he wants it to go. Um, I, I think it really kind of centers there. It's, it's, this is a head coach driven team, you know, and that's offense, defense, and special teams. And where he wants it to go, we, we will go. And that's, of course, depends on our personnel and uh, goes out from there. And the, of course, this time of year is huge in terms of personnel acquisition. So um, don't know exactly what the offense will look like next year until we get those guys on, on our on our team. But how encouraged are you just with obviously when he took over play calling and you got the elevated balls, passing coordinator, to see it translate to the field? successes that you guys had is that encouraging with just how that dynamic worked and how it translated yeah once again I know Dan for a long time so I think that certainly helps just having that comfort level he sees the game I see the game very similar um and so I think he felt comfortable just having me interact with a few different more position groups and uh you know it it was good from that regard just tying that pass game together and also knowing what our players brought to the table because Jared, it was our first year with him, uh, brought in Josh Reynolds mid-year, finding out what he was best at. Um, and really the rest of the wideouts from there, you know, I mean, they had been with us in the springtime, but just seeing them grow and, and putting them in the best situations to showcase their talents, I mean, that's really what it came down to. I was saying those conversations you've had with Ann, what's the discussion about who call plays? 
Uh, I'll be honest with you, at this point, I don't think he's made a decision. Um, I'll let him speak for himself. I, I, as far as I know, he's still deciding whether he's calling plays or not. He's still deciding who he's gonna do, who he's gonna um, peg as offensive coordinator. And hopefully, hopefully, we'll have some clarity on the direction of the offense in the near future. How did the second half of the year prepare you for a potential offensive coordinator? Well, you said you talked to groups. Do you think it helped really prepare you for a book? Yeah, yeah. I, um, Certainly more opportunities to be in front of the offense and in front of the skilled players in particular. Um, but here's what I say. Just over the course of my career, I've been around a number of coordinators. Um, Mike Sherman, Bill Lazor, Zach Taylor, um, Adam Gay, uh, you know, Anthony Lynn. And I've learned a ton from each and every one of them. Um, I've taken things from every one of those guys, and so I feel like it has helped prepare me for this moment. You know? can, you, can you speak to your creativity? Everybody raves about your creativity in, in the offense. It's like, where, where does that come from, just the ability to think outside the box and just that creative side? You know, I, I would probably go so far as I don't know how creative it is. You know, personally, <laughs> I, I really don't. It's, uh, Coach Lynn actually said this back in the springtime last year. Play calling, the art behind play calling is more so the timing of the play and not necessarily the play itself. The, the NFL, everyone watches each other. Everyone steals each other's plays. There aren't that many new plays that, that we're seeing week to week. And so it's really the timing of it. And I thought uh, we got in a good rhythm, a good groove there, second half of the season, uh, just in terms of hitting those at the right moment. And it paid dividends for us. I want to go back to yeah, something you, you said earlier about this being a head coach-driven program. I, I don't know how many head coaches you've worked under now in this, this league, but is there anything unique about the way Dan kind of leads the ship here um, in, in that sense? Yeah, I, I, I can't speak highly enough of him yeah. in terms of his leadership capabilities and um, just the direction he gives his coaching staff and allows them to be themselves, which I think brings out the best in all of us. And so I, I think and it shows up with the players as well. They can they're not walking on eggshells through the building, you know, and they can uh, they really thrive in that environment and grow. Both coaches and players. When we when we talked to uh, Aubrey, um, he said he designed a, sort of a playbook just for this week because of the parameters in place with the game and everything. I was wondering if you had to do anything similar or, or drew up some special stuff for just this team. Yeah, so this was this was a unique experience, and we wanted we wanted to allow these guys to showcase their physical abilities. But at the same time, this because we got this opportunity and we got this in-depth look at them, we wanted to challenge them too. So that first day was rough, and it was fun to watch the growth from Tuesday to Wednesday, and we're expecting the same jump today because we're putting a lot on their plates. I mean, some of these quarterbacks haven't even called plays in a huddle before. And to see where they were yesterday in terms of rattling the playoff in the huddle, it, it was impressive. So it's been really fun. I wanted to ask about Amon Ra. He had his big, you know, second half of the season under under you with design a bunch of the plays and stuff. So I'm just curious what you see like in Amon Ra right now, like where you see him going as a player, and then how you can complement what you have with him as you go forward. Yeah, he reminds me so much of, of the guy we had in Miami um, for a number of years there, Jarvis Landry. Just early on, uh, strong, tough, catches everything in sight. And then probably to me the most impressive thing about him is how driven he is. I mean, you could see that in springtime, summertime, and then, heck, you go out to practice now. He's the last one off the field on the jugs every single day. Um, 
So I think we we have really just opened opened the door in terms of what he's capable of doing. You know, because he's uh, as driven as he is. Guys that I've been around that are that are built like that mentally, they tend to they tend to surprise a lot of people. I guess maybe schematically or personnel wise, how can you compliment Ahmad Ryan when you already have that? Like looking at receiver, we can't we can't tell you our secrets. So Ag Ag said he's already done a full self scout of the defense, which is on on par with what you expect for Ag. I just wondered if you've done anything similar with going back and watching over the entirety of the offense and maybe any revelations and in, in areas you see for improvement that maybe were missed during the season. We uh, just talking with Coach Campbell. We have everything set up to. Our self scout process next week. Yeah. So starting on Monday, we're going to do a deep dive. Uh, we have the cutups made. We'll probably start with the run game, and you know, Coach Fraley plays such a big role with that. And Deuce, they play. They both are really spearheading that that department. So um, we'll let them really, really carry the torch there for that, and, and uh, we'll work our way down. But. Over the course of the next two weeks, we hope to have that whole thing wrapped up. Okay, Amy, I'll set up the Zoom call then. We'll talk about that. <laughs> Very good. Very good. Thank you, guys. Thanks, Thanks, thank you, Ben. So, yeah, good stuff from, from Ben Johnson, who, listen, he's one of multiple candidates for the job. Lines are interviewing multiple external candidates this week as well, uh, as, as Dan Campbell does his due diligence and checks boxes and hears different ideas about what people have about the offense. But there's a lot to be said for the comfort he has with Ben Johnson and the chemistry he has and they built last year. And I don't know if Dan Campbell wants to continue calling plays because that's a lot for a head coach to take on, but he's clearly got a knack for it. And if they do roll with Ben Johnson, I really think that Campbell might opt for um, continuity with the play calling as well. It'll be really interesting to see what the future of the Lions offense is next year. Yeah, that's been the most interesting aspect of all of this is that it's like it's internally driven for the offensive coordinator position. It feels like it feels like it's Ben Johnson and then there's a giant gap and then there's like, yeah, there's some outside names. I mean, I know we talked about a couple Joe Brady's elsewhere, Kent Dorsey's elsewhere. So it's like, there's something to that creative collaboration that these guys, it sparked something. I mean, something clicked for Campbell and Johnson. And like you said, it's like the momentum's going into next season. Imagine this team with another wide receiver, maybe two more wide receivers like Antoine Randall L wants, you know, it's just like the more talent you put on this team, it just really, there's reason for optimism in the offense. And it's a big reason why we think this offense is a lot closer than others think it is because it's just Campbell and Johnson, that offensive brain trust I mean the thing that sticks out to me they really understood their personnel they really understood how to grow with their personnel they really understood how their personnel was going to execute the best out there and like you said just motioning a guard giving Brock Wright a different look giving Goff a different read on that play it went from a nothing play to a 20 35 yard plus touchdown to an undrafted tight end I just mean there's a lot of reason for optimism and that that chemistry the creative collaboration that's the type of stuff you want to hear about a rebuild and it's like this thing worked whether Campbell's calling the plays or not it feels like Ben Johnson is that top guy because there's that relationship there it's worked in year one when there wasn't much talent on the offense to go around so it's reason to think that thing's going to step forward the more talent they put on this offense because like I said just understanding that personnel got the most out of those guys the same thing can be said for those two as we talk about Aaron Glenn, I think. I agree with you, man. I, I really do. They they went 0 10 and 1 to start the year. They went 3 and 3 down the stretch, which, you know, it's a huge improvement and speaks for itself. But it's actually even better than that because they were doing it without TJ Hawkinson, without Frank Ragnow, and without. DeAndre Swift for most of the second half of the year and multiple games without Jamal Williams. And they lost both the guys who were supposed to start at receiver this year. Uh, You know, it it was basically Amon Ross St. Brown and a bunch of backups. I, I mean, against Green Bay in the second half, 
they had four guys who were either backups or out of position, and they're still playing well and still producing. And again, you know, there's a lot of reasons for that. But to see the offensive uptick has, you know, I think it's really encouraging. And they did that with a bunch of backups out there, practice squad guys, a third string center, on and on and on. And so when they get back to full strength next year, and they've got all five starters back on an offensive line that's already really good and has been really good even without all five guys on the field ever for even a single play this past season. And you got both running backs back and you got a quarterback who played so much better down the stretch last year. Um, and you got this stud slot receiver. I like, I just think they have a lot going for them on offense and they're really not that far away. I, I think they are a playmaking wide receiver away from competency and who knows what else they could do in a, in a single off season. And I just think that, I mean, even Antoine Randall L the receivers coach said it himself, he's already told the receivers, like, this is what's happening. Like we're going to go after a playmaker. We're going to, I want to draft two guys. We're going to sign another. And obviously you can't add three playmaking wide receivers in a single off season, but the message is, is that reinforcements are coming and that the investments will be made at that position. Um, and I'm really curious to see what it does because this offense under Ben Johnson and, and Dan Campbell made giant leaps in a you know context where they really shouldn't have. And um, I think there's a lot of reasons to be hopeful going into 2022. No, absolutely. I mean, we've we've said this time and time again. Just look what Josh Reynolds infused to this offense. A matter, imagine a better version of Josh Reynolds. You know, a guy that wasn't fourth fiddle in Tennessee before he landed. It, it's just, I mean, just a little infusion of athleticism and height that can stretch the field. I'm with you. This thing's so much closer. And I, I started laughing. I started seeing Randall L's tweets going, damn, this guy wants three playmaking wide receivers. He has told <laughs> Brad Holmes it is going to be done. There you go. He's apparently been listening to the Dungeon of Doom because, I mean, a number one outside wide receiver. Top top of the wish list. I mean, seriously, this offense is close. That is exactly what they need. There's not much more to say on that. That would just, I mean... Imagine what St. Brown could do with somebody actually distracting safeties over the top, corners over the top, just another guy to respect. I mean, that's the part that's crazy about St. Brown's production. There was nobody else out there. The other teams really had to respect, and he still put up stupid numbers. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. I got nothing out of that. Amen. Ben, I'm uh, I'm tired. It's been a long few days. I got to drive to New Orleans here in a sec. Probably eat some gumbo before I get out of here. Um, so I think that's a good spot to uh, to wrap this baby up. Yeah, I'll go shovel my driveway and get out of here. Yeah, it's still about 65 degrees down here, so I can't complain too much. <laughs> it's been real. We'll see you. This has been Ben Raven and Kyle Mikey of MLive's Detroit Lions Beat. Thank you for listening to the Dungeon of Doom, an MLive Detroit Lions podcast. Make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Acast, Apple, Spotify, Google. Like I said, wherever you get them and listen to them, make sure to subscribe to the Dungeon of Doom. Thanks again. <laughs>